these are difficult days and different times. Uh, hard breaks for those who are struggling with illness, for those who are anxious, uh, for those who are, as Corey prayed this morning, who are on the front lines trying to give care uh, to those who are struggling with sickness and putting themselves in harm's way for us. It, it pushes me uh, to our scripture reading yesterday and our daily Bible reading plan from Psalm uh, 61, which says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. It's difficult days. It's, it's hard because you, you want to do something. But at the same time, you have to be careful as you do things. And I hope you're doing that. Um, it's been a blessing to talk to so many of our older adults. Ben and Linda and I have been doing that over the last couple of days and to hear about how the church is being the church, uh, hearing how neighbors are being neighbors and how families are stepping up to be families and to fulfill those responsibilities. Listen, if there are still needs that you have, we want you, as, as Ben announced earlier today, to contact Steve Potter and let him know if you have needs. Please do that. Don't stop from doing that. But it's been, it's been a blessing to hear how church is being a help and a hope uh, to each other. And as, and as Corey prayed this morning, it is right that we take this time to make the most of our time, as Paul told the church in Ephesus, to make sure in these days where we're, we, we're unsettled and, and we're having new responsibilities, but also maybe having a little bit more time, to make sure we're taking time to pray, to make sure we're taking time to read, to take time to study, to take time to, to seek counsel. In, in our latest newsletter on our website, my contact information is there. I would love to talk with you during this time, even if it's over the phone or through uh, technology of Zoom or FaceTime. I'd love to connect with you as well as our pastors would love uh, to do that as well. And I hope you're carving time out for groups, whether it's using, as my small group did last Sunday, FaceTime or, or connecting, as Ben's talked about today, through Zoom with your Sunday school class or your small group or with other believers. We're created to be in relationship uh, with one another, and we need that. So I hope you'll take advantage of that during these days. But the most important thing is to turn, to turn our eyes to Jesus Christ, our Savior. And that's what we're going to do. I had, I had thought about preaching sermons about this or about that during these days, but we just need to look to Jesus. We need to keep in this Lenten season to keep our eyes on the cross and on the cross bearer. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some pretty deep theories about why Jesus gave himself for us on the cross. And this morning, it's going to be different. And look, it's a different time. We're not going to look at big, grand theories about the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And it's okay in this, in this, in this season in which we find ourselves to be a little bit different because things are different. Sarah and I had our anniversary yesterday. It was a little bit different, celebrating anniversary in this season. Sarah's got her birthday this week. It's just going to be a different kind of birthday. This morning, it's, it's a different message, but it's, I pray and, and believe that it's a good message. No grand theory about why Jesus died. It's just simply this. He died because he said he would. He is a God of his word. It's, it's a word we can bank on. It's a word we can hold on to, especially in days like today. And I want us to look at three parts of his word in these, in these verses for us today. First, we see the control of his word. You go back to the to the to the 
first miracle in John's gospel just before this, and John, and John reports that Jesus says, look, this is not my hour when he talks to his mom. Jesus is in full control of his knowledge. So what he speaks, he speaks as controlled because he knows what season it is and what time it is and what time it is not. And you even see him in verse 19 here. He's got full confidence to say that I will be resurrected. When the temple's destroyed, I'm going to take my life up again. You see the control of his words here. Not just his words, but also of his actions. You couldn't have a weapon on the temple grounds. There's a certain reverence maybe we have for places like the rock for Southern football or the pavilion for Ole Miss basketball or the dude for state baseball. There may be a certain reverence you might have if you visited Wrigley or Fenway or for the church where you were married or your children were baptized or you came to faith. But this is the temple. This is... This is the holy mount of God where the glory of God rested in the temple. And so for that reason, there couldn't be a a weapon on the temple mount or in that area. And so Jesus would have to go and fashion a cord, and that took some time. So this is not a rash move of Jesus. This is not some uncontrolled response of Christ, but he takes his time to do what he does. And it's done in such a way that the Roman guards who would have been looking at the Antonio Fortress over the temple area with over probably a million Jews in the city for that holy festival, they would have been watching for any uprising. And he does it in such a way that they're not called. Or as one commentary said this week, there's no riotous character in Jesus Christ. His actions and his words are controlled. And you see it so clearly in his words. There's no ranting or raving. He's not speaking off the top of his head or off the cuff, but he's quoting Scripture. Mark and Matthew later would talk about this being Jeremiah 7. And here in verse 17, he prophesies his resurrection. He recounts the word, and he also speaks a prophesied word. When Corey preached a couple of weeks ago about Jesus' showdown in the wilderness with the devil, he didn't rant or rave there. He didn't even pull out a weapon against the devil. What did he use? He He used the word of God. All three times at all three temptations. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus is using the word, stating the word. At the very end of his public ministry, in a moment of physical agony, we'll never get our heads around all that he suffered. But then the emotional struggle of Jesus Christ on the cross, to die before his mother and his friends, to be exposed before his enemies, all that was going on spiritually that, again, we'll never fully understand for us. But what does he speak from the cross? Not only does he speak mercy and prayers, he speaks the word. It's always the word. From the beginning of his public ministry here to the end of his public ministry on the cross, Jesus speaks the word, and his words are always controlled. But they're not just controlled. The second word would be, we see the care of Jesus Christ for his word. John would begin this gospel by saying Jesus is the word. Later he would say that Jesus is the truth. And you see that whatever Jesus speaks, not only does it come to pass, but whatever Jesus speaks, we see the great care that he has for his word. So much so that when you get to verse 17 of this passage, when his disciples see this event, you think they would get caught up in the event. But what are they recounting? What are they saying? Zeal for his house will consume him. It's the word. They're drawn, when they see the life of Jesus and the response of Jesus, they're drawn to the Word of God. 
So we see the great care of, of Jesus with his word. And then last, we see that there is a cost for his words. There's a cost for lifting up the word of God. We talked a few weeks ago about Mark's gospel when we went through our first thing sermon series. And by chapter 3, verse 6, they're wanting to kill Jesus for the things he has said about himself. And here we see there's going to be a cost as well. You don't go to the temple and talk like that. You just don't. I mean, it's kind of in the South. It's okay to talk about Eli Manning, but you don't talk about Archie Manning. In the South, you might talk about certain commentators now, but you don't talk about Jack Crystal. You don't go to the temple and do something like this. But Jesus is a God of his word. And if his word proclaims that there is forgiveness only through sacrifice in the, in the very first books of the Bible, then there needs to be sacrifice. If the Bible through the prophets say that there will be a servant who will suffer, then there will be a servant who will suffer. He is a God of his word. And so Jesus never, never backs away from the word. And so one of the reasons that Jesus Christ gave himself for us on the cross is because he's a, he's a God of his word. And so that's a good word for us, especially in these days, to know that when God's word says, lo, I am with you always, he meant it and he will be. When his word says, I will never leave you or forsake you, but I am coming to you. In that promise in John 14 of the Holy Spirit, that God's very presence would be with his people, not just on this temple mount where Jesus is in John 2, but the very presence of God will be with us. If he said it, he meant it, and it will be. When Paul, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, says that God will cause everything to work for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, we can believe on it and bank on that. Or later when he would say, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known to God. He's waiting on us and on our prayers. We see Jesus' words, his control of his words, his care for his words, the cost of his words, but you and I can depend on that word. And, and that's really a word for us then, a challenge for us. What's our response? As we see these things in the life of Jesus, and we see these things in his words, then, then what about our words? How are our words controlled? As Jesus is controlled in every moment of this, that some people want to say, again, that this was riotous or this was off the cuff. We see the control of his actions and his words through this. And so when you and I control our words, there's no telling what the Lord can do. You look at verse 17 and verse 22. The first words in any Greek sentence is really the most important word of that sentence. And it does, those, those sentences don't begin with disciples. They begin with the word remember. They remembered because of Jesus' action. When he does these things, they remember who he was <coughs> and what he has done. It's a good word for us that when our words are controlled, when our lives are controlled, that when people bump into our attitudes, that they can remember the word. The first martyr of the church was Stephen. And when he died, his life basically and almost completely mimicked Jesus' death. His words literally followed Jesus' words. They copied Jesus' words. 
And it makes us think of Jesus. It makes us think of his words, the way that Stephen died, what Stephen said. When you and I are controlled, as Jesus' half-brother James would say in chapter 3 of his epistle, when, when we have a bridle, the bridle of the Spirit that controls our, our tongues or, or like a horse bit in, it, it, not a, a horse bit in the mouth or a rudder in a ship, our words will control our lives. But it also controls how people respond. We have a great opportunity for Christ when we allow His Spirit to control our words, especially what we'll speak in these days of anxiety, to point people to the Word of God. And it's not just the control of our words, but it's the care that we have with our words. Again, Jesus here is not rash. We've been reading recently. We're in 1 Samuel now, but we've just gone through the book of Judges in our daily reading plan. And you go back to Jephthah. Now, this is one, if you read the beginning of that chapter about this experience, it says he's, he's got the Holy Spirit on him, and yet he makes a rash vow. It's a horrible story of somebody being rash or quick with the word and not thinking. And then later in Judges, you get the same thing from the Israelites when they make a rash vow about not letting the Benjamites uh, marry within Israel. How is it you and I can do that with our words? We took our children to a red, Redbirds baseball game years ago when they were young. I, I have told you before, I had one child who was terrified of Chuck E. Cheese. I would have to go in and find out when Chuck E. Cheese was going to come out and be with kids, and we'd time it. We'd run in with our child after he had left. We'd play for about 10, 15 minutes, take that child out. Chuck E. Cheese would come out, do his thing. When he'd leave, we'd go back in and play. Well, I had another child who was terrified of fireworks. And so we had gone to the Memphis Redbirds game. It was our first time there. We had a great time, great ballpark right in the middle of the city of Memphis. I didn't know that they did this, but apparently... Whenever a home run is hit, fireworks went off. Well, I didn't know that, and so we brought our child into an environment that in the seventh inning of that game, somebody hit a home run, we all got excited, but then fireworks went off, and our child melted down, had, had a panic attack, and we just kind of held him close. But listen, I'm, I come from a sports family, and it was a really close game, and I wanted to see the end of the game, and so I kind of hedged my bets and thought, we're up, but it's close. We're going into the eighth inning, so I told my child, hey, we're going to be okay. They're probably not going to hit any, any more home runs. Let's stay and see if we can make it through the game. Top of the eighth, no home run. Bottom of the eighth, no home run. We get to the top of the ninth inning. Can the Redbirds hold out? Out number one, no home run. Out number two, no home run. Out number three, no home run. I'm off the hook. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but whenever the Redbirds win a game, they have an amazing fireworks display. <laughs> and there's my child melting down again. Dad, you lied. Dad, you. You spoken anything rashly, especially this week? Out of frustration, for sure. Jesus here was livid, but his words were controlled. And, and, and look, it doesn't mean we step back either. Jesus was bold. You hear coaches say all the time, nobody comes into our house and does this or messes with us. This was his father's house. This was his holy mountain. And there were people with power-hungry hearts trying to control that mountain, trying to control that faith. And Jesus looked him in the eye and he said what he said. doesn't mean we're not bold, but we have to be careful. And, and, and it doesn't mean 
we need to hear this. It doesn't mean we're not just bold about our faith, but also for our care for others. You know, there's some scholars that would say that where they set up, if you look at other stories about this story, other scriptures about Jesus cleansing the temple, that there's talk of it being in the Gentile court. Maybe that's also why Jesus is frustrated. Not, he's not just frustrated because his father's house is to be a house of prayer. He's not just frustrated because these changers are taking, they're taking money and making money off of, this is Gentile's court. Jesus was born as Simeon prophesied. This one has come not just to be the hope of Israel, but to be a light unto the Gentiles. And look what you're doing in this court, this one place where Gentiles can come and get close to God and see God's people and see the worship of God. And look what you've done. With our words, we're not just supposed to be bold about our faith, but also in our actions and our words. We see it in Jesus' life here, this heart for the lost. His words and his life showed up for those who were on the margins. And again, I love how our church is doing that as we continue to care for those and have a heart for those who are struggling during this time. Control, care, but then also a cost. And I won't spend a whole lot of time on that this morning. But there is a cost. Whenever we're, now again, as, as Scripture would say, we always want to have an answer for the hope that's within us. Peter would say that. But we also want to do it with gentleness and reverence and with care. Um, but there's going to be a cost. You see it at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, uh, and you see it as well here. Uh, whenever you and I lift up the word, whenever you and I are people of the word, there's going to be a cost. But we count that cost as Jesus did for us, and he faced his hour, as John says in his gospel. How about for you and your response to this word this morning? How is it that your words and your actions can draw people to the word? As with these disciples, where they remember the word because of what they see in the attitude and life and words of Christ. How are you either being controlled by your words or are you allowing by cooperating with the Spirit in your life, you're controlling your words so that your life is pointed towards God, so that your life is pointed towards others and their needs as you see Jesus did here. Jesus died to keep his word. And through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we are to be people of his word as well. Let's pray about that. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you went to the cross to fulfill the word of God and to keep your word to your people. Father, it is our prayer that in response to what Christ has done for us, that we would be careful with our words, that we would be bold with our words, that, Father God, your Holy Spirit would make our hearts sensitive um, to the leading of, of your Spirit, to his Spirit, that, that, uh, that we would reflect the life of Christ, the attitude and mind of Christ, the words of Christ. And, Father, help us to count the cost. But, Father, to, to bless Christ and to lift up Christ no matter the cost. Father, also in this season, we're thankful that you're a God of your word, that Christ is a God of his word. And that even though we might be feeling many things right now, struggling, whether it's economically or emotionally, even in a spiritually dry season, we know that you keep 
your word. Father, we praise you for that. Be near to us as your word promises. If we will draw near to you, you will draw near to us. And we praise you and we thank you. We thank you for that good word. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ that we respond. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.